This is the InsureTech Deep Dive with Chris Franklin and John Jacobin. Exploring the technology that drives today's most innovative InsureTech companies. Hey everybody, my name is John Jacobin. Along with my co-host Chris Franklin, we'd like to welcome you to the InsureTech Deep Dive. I'd like to start by welcoming Ron Glosman, CEO and founder of Chisel AI. So welcome, Ron. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful. So we'll uh, we'll jump right into this uh, this episode, and uh, maybe we can set the stage by, you know, telling us a little bit about uh, Chisel AI, what you do, and maybe uh, the kind of the founding story as to why you actually started the company. Would love to, and I'll, I'll start in, in reverse uh, order there, I think. I'll, I'll start with telling you what we do. So uh, Chisel AI, uh, we're an InsurTech-focused uh, startup specializing in teaching computers how to read, or NLP, and uh, some of the core problem areas that we're focused on helping in the insurance space revolve around intake of documents and document verification, which, as you can imagine, paperwork is one of the most uh, critical parts of insurance. There's a lot of different types of paperwork, and you want to make sure that you're getting the right type of insurance and you're covered for all the risks. And so we help both brokers and carriers uh, basically guarantee or have better contract certainty for their policyholders and make sure that they have the risks covered that they would like to have covered. And all of that is powered through our natural language processing engine. So you you asked the question there about, you know, how did I get to be here? And I know this is only audio and I have a deep voice. So people tell me I sound a little bit older, but uh, I'm quite young and I started working on this actually in university or college, and that was about seven years ago. I was sitting there in my dorm room at the time, reading textbooks and saying to myself, there just has to be a better way. It doesn't make sense that a thousand page textbook is converted into a 10 or 20 page exam that you take in two to four hours. So I said to myself, what if I can teach a computer how to read and create summaries of documents, uh, basically one page per chapter on demand? And so being a computer science student, I said, that sounds uh, a lot more fun than actually reading a book and also repeatable because I only write the software once and then I can run it on infinitely many textbooks, but I have to otherwise read every book manually. And so uh, I spent a semester working on it and I got it to the point where I could uh, stop going to class, still get straight A's, just hang out all day, play video games, my favorite thing to do. And my friends heard about it. They're like, hey, you should put this out on the app store. I put it out and in two weeks it went viral. It was in 44 of the top Ivy League schools in the world, 33 countries. We're talking Princeton, Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Russia, China, India, Brazil, Portugal, Switzerland, Netherlands, France, Ireland, like you name it. It was basically on every continent. And, um, you know, Google went on to name it one of the 50 best apps for students of all time. So clearly we'd found a, a good niche, but uh, students don't have a lot of discretionary income, as we all know. And so... I uh, worked on it as a hobby for about two, two and a half years. And in 2016, I was invited by RBC, one of the big five banks uh, in Canada where we're based, to their first ever machine learning conference to sit on a panel and talk about natural language processing. And so uh, after I presented on that panel, about five minutes after I come off stage, an email comes in through the contact form and it says, hey, I know this is an app for students, but I think insurance can really benefit. Do you have five minutes to chat? 
I looked up the sender. It was uh, one of the biggest insurance brokerages in the world. I quickly followed up with them saying, yes, would love to chat. They educated me about insurance and their, their specific problem area, uh, which is errors and omissions. And uh, we built a product around it called Policy Check. That was our first product. Uh, and then about a year and a half ago, we started working on our second product, which helps, uh, as I mentioned, uh, carriers or underwriters of risk uh, ingest more business faster because that's one of the most uh, bottlenecked parts of the business. And so by leveraging natural language processing to read these submissions, we built an application, ended up winning uh, Zurich, you know, the 97th biggest company in the world, had a Innovation World Championship where we ended up taking home the gold medal. And so... It's been about seven years of my life. And as you can tell, uh, we've gone far from reading textbooks to reading insurance documents. We've killed off uh, the app for students. That's no longer available because um, that's often a question that I get asked. So I'll ju <laughs> just get out in front of it. And uh, that's a quick summary. Yeah, yeah, that's that's awesome. So, you know, uh, artificial intelligence, AI sounds so like super awesome. But when you start thinking about AI, it seems like the MVP of any product, if anybody was like, hey, you know, AI seems pretty awesome. Like, it seems to be way more involved than, you know, any, uh, any ordinary tech startup. So like, if, like, where do you, like, if you're starting a, uh, an AI tech company, like, where do you actually start? It's interesting. I, I think maybe I'll take it in a different way and you can let me know if, if maybe I don't answer the question. Um, sure. I've often been quoted as saying that, at least to me, AI is like surgery, which means it's a very extreme form of medical procedure and it shouldn't be taken lightly. And it's only useful in very specific circumstances. Like if you can diet, for example, if your goal is weight loss, if you can diet, if you can change what you eat, if you can exercise, like there's a million ways to achieve your goal, it's better. And, and the reason I say that is because AI by itself has a statistical method, right? It has a certain level of certainty. And part of it is that it's a black box. Uh, and the explainability is still something that people are working on. And so I actually, I, I would say, don't start by saying, I know how to do AI and now I'm going to solve a problem in some sense at least as far as building a business is concerned, uh, find a business problem first. And if you can solve it any way other than AI, other than AI, you should probably start there. Um, what you'll end up probably finding is in solving any one problem, you're solving like 100 small problems. And probably 90 of those will require traditional methods. Five of them might require like more traditional machine learning. And some of them might be like really, really cutting edge stuff. And that's probably closer to what we've seen and what I've seen in my experiences. You never solve one problem. You're solving a hundred small problems. If it can be solved without AI, it's probably best to start there. But when AI is needed, um, data was probably like the next thing that I would say. Yeah, Ron, I think that's, I think that's interesting, right? And it's actually, it's, it's encouraging to hear that approach from, from um, you know, the, the, the startup side, right? Because I think a lot of the time, and you know we 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 see it happen a lot with with kind of within the blockchain space and the AI and machine learning space that is you know if, if there's a cool piece of technology, um, you know sometimes the the temptation is to kind of find a problem to solve as opposed to kind of you know, define the problem and then find the right piece of technology um, to to solve it. Um, you know I I think what's what's interesting about the space that you're in, Ron, is that obviously you know obviously there's 
there's a there's there's a lot of friction there, right? So when you're looking at the commercial insurance space, you're looking at um, you know, you, you mentioned policy checking. There's there's a lot of manual intensive work that that potentially um, can be augmented or um, you know uh, automated through through an, an AI driven solution. Um, you know, how, how how much of that space are you? I mean. Are you finding, Ron, that you know that there's there are different approaches depending on the complexity of, of of what has to be done, or are you seeing kind of the technology maturing to a point where it's able to to handle lots of different types of, of cases and, and and situations? Yeah, it's it's a complex question. I think it's it really depends on the level of granularity that you have. In some sense. Everybody uses the same, uh, at least mathematics, to achieve the, the statistical models and the machine learning models that they're trying to build. So, you know, when you look at it at a really macro level, um, you know, it's not like companies are reinventing the wheel here. It really comes down to the data set. And I, I mentioned this as part of my last answer, so I'll expand on it. Um, there, there's no general AI. It, it's very firstly costly to label data very time consuming to label data and also um the way machine learning works is the more ends you have the more cases uh that you have a distribution across the more data you need for each and actually you end up having um, a lot of difficulty sometimes discerning between the classes clearly and so um, what, what you find is that you end up having to specialize. And so you talked a little bit about some of our areas of specialization being commercial insurance, PNC insurance. Um, and, and I think there's companies that do similar things to what we do, for example, in financial services and even in the insurance space and claims potentially. But their models are built very differently than ours, not in the sense of the mathematics, but on the data that it was fed, the types of classes that it's been, you know, taught to predict. Um, and so it's all the same and it's all very different. Yeah, no, that's, I think that's, I think that's interesting. Um, and, you know, I, I know you mentioned, um, obviously, quality checking and, and submissions. I mean, are, are there other, are there other areas of, of the, uh, Kind of insurance value chain lifecycle um, that, that that you're currently looking at, or are these two really kind of your your main your main focus areas for now? Definitely the main focus areas for now, but we've we've have this chart internally, um, and I think many people have charts, and you can find similar things like this on the internet of just some of the touch points in the process of procuring insurance. Um, yeah. And in our chart, it was, there was like 21 touch points. And I've seen charts with like 25. And if you really get granular, there's probably even more. And so when we think about that, there's seven areas that we have, we eventually want to touch. Um, I won't talk about all of them because some of them are yeah. very, very far off from now. But the next <laughs> biggest one that we're talking about is uh, quote compare. And people will be very familiar with quote compare for like personal lines where you can go online and compare auto quotes and all that stuff. But in the commercial world, that doesn't really exist. Like most brokers are doing that manually today. They're reading each quote, populating some type of Excel spreadsheet. Then once they have all of the columns filled out for each of the quotes, then they finally sit down and, and you know, go through with the client based on what they think is the best. Um, imagine you could just circumvent all that reading, auto-produce that Excel so that they can in real time right in front of the clients just go right over the information without having to spend, you know, like 10 hours reading quotes. Um, yeah. 
that's definitely one one other area. And then the last one would be uh, around the concept of, uh, you know, how do we help become more value add? There's always new products coming to market um, and, you know, rules change and rates change. And one of the things, at least in the United States, that I have statistics on is that uh, more than 50% of people in the United States are underinsured. Um, mm. And so like a farmer could have bought a property, you know, in California in the 1970s, it might have cost him, let's say, 200,000 um, for the land and another 300,000 for the farmhouse so 500 total. Uh, these days, it's probably worth a couple million uh, land alone plus the farmhouse. He has a fire. He gets paid out 500,000. And he's like, I can't even build my farmhouse back, let alone like everything I just mm -hmm. lost. And so uh, he comes yeah. and, and looks at the broker and he's frustrated. And it's really nobody's fault in some sense, because the brokers already don't have time to look at like, what's the average land value in that in that area? And like all of these things that they could probably do if they had more time. And so we're going to try to build some predictive yeah. sort of like Amazon does other people like this in this area have this type of insurance so that you can think about, you know, what is the best coverage for them? Yeah, I, I, I love that concept of this kind of, you know, almost like a rec recommendation type type engine um you know it's, uh, in, in the past I've, I've spoken a little bit about you know this this exact problem right where you know you you, you know kind of this, this misunderstanding across the insurance um landscape of you know what 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 somebody is insured for what they think they're insured for and what they should be insured for right you have these three different um perspectives and when all three of them are out of alignment you know really it's the claims experience that suffers right because it isn't really until the claim that you realize or you know that there's this complete misalignment in, in, under, in, in understanding around what, what somebody's insurance um, actually is and, and, and what it covers. And I think anything, any type of technology, any solution that can help to eliminate that, that kind of friction, I, I, I think is, is, is really valuable. So that, that, that's awesome. So, yeah, so let me, let me jump in and um, just, so you mentioned quote compare. So it, it all sounds good. You know, I think uh, on the surface people go, okay, so why aren't you doing that right now? So maybe talk us through what the process is when you, when you identify a new, you know, opportunity um, like quote compare, what do you actually have to do in order to get it to a point where you're comfortable saying, yeah, this actually works. It's interesting because I'm there's obviously technical things that need to happen. Um, but in some sense, and you know, there's some known unknowns. And, and of course, there's some unknown unknowns. But for the most part, we, we know what we're dealing with when we're trying to build a new model. Uh, for me, it's actually more a question of market. And uh, as a startup, and obviously, like there's like scale ups and all these different definitions. So it depends really where you are along the spectrum. But depending on, on your cash size, you can only tackle so many products. You can only support so many clients. You can only build so many new features in one year. And so, and that's often the dilemma we face is we in fact have more opportunities from potential clients than we can take on in one year, which sounds crazy. It's like, well, then just hire a hundred engineers. But the thing is, it takes time to find quality engineers. It takes time to train them, to onboard them. Um, legals take time. And if you're trying to do legals with a hundred companies at once, you know, the, you need a huge so, like legal team. And so there's all these complexities that I would say are more business facing than they are tech facing. Um, 
as far as the tech facing ones, uh, we'll typically need to procure some type of data. So uh, the customer will provide us with uh, a data a data dump containing you know several thousands, tens of thousands of files. We then take it upon ourselves to go through, clean that data, label that data, catalog that data, um, upsample and downsample, and do all of these you know methodologies that our data scientists do. Uh, once that's done, we then hand over the results to our engineering team who integrates the models and does all the automation testing and integrates it into the front end and um, sets up a lot of the cool. We have what's called um, a, a human in the loop, or in this case, it's more like a reinforcement learning system. It's a type of learning. And so as the, the machine sees more data, it gets smarter over time. And so um, long story short, it can take two months to build the models, um, let's say from start to finish to like go live uh, and integrate in automation testing and all of that. But it's often a business question that can take longer. It might take you a year, even though you know you want to, let's say, build quote compare, it might take you a year to have enough resources available on the engineering team, not committed to clients um, to be able to do that. Got it. And does, as you're building that out, you know, you mentioned a, a data dump from a client. Is it, is it strictly one client's data dump or the more clients that you get, does it improve the efficiency, the accuracy um, of the overall model as you move forward and as that, that product itself matures? Yeah, correct. And so in some, uh, some like very, very generic entities, in fact, we don't really collect data anymore because we've basically, you know, hit a, hit a point of minimum return where like we're basically so good that any additional data doesn't really move the needle. Then there's some, you know, middle, middle piece where it's still common things. And so as people contribute data, it takes effect. But then there's also, you got to remember, very, very niche things um, that might just be unique to a specific client. And I can't really... Um, name an example specifically but let's say hypothetically you have your own type of business classification system so instead of using let's say uh sick code or some type of international standard you come up with your own system mm -hmm. and we train a model for you to do that uh, we don't really you know sell that to anybody else that's in some sense unique to you but that also means that it's only as good as the data that you can give us because it's not like any other company in the world um, is going to give us data on that. And so, um, and, and part of this is education with the client. I, f I find oftentimes AI and this whole thing is hyped up and, and people think it can solve everything. And there's a lot of complexities. There's, you know, you got to zoom into the cell and you got to see all the different pieces. Wrong. Um, so Thinking about this from a you know from a startup perspective, right? I think you know I'd, I'd like to kind of backtrack a little bit and understand how you how you guys make a decision around whether to 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 build a piece of technology that you use in in your in your in your product stack versus whether you might lean on on AWS or Azure or some type of cloud um, provided piece of technology. So I'm, I'm thinking more about NLP, OCR. Um, and I don't know how much you can share, but I mean, you know, do you, I mean, do you tend to kind of lean on existing cloud tech and then augment that with your own um, kind of code? Or do you, or are, are you building this stuff from scratch and, you know, kind of writing R and, and Python and, and doing a lot of this stuff yourself internally? It's, it's something that it's, it's something that I hear from, it's a question I hear from startups quite frequently, whether they, you know, whether how much they should invest in the cloud side or how much they could build, you know, themselves. 
Yeah, I think the answer is both. And so, and I find that's always the answer. So I'll, I'll, I'll go deeper and explain sort of how we make the decision to build versus, let's say, partner, if that could be a word that I could leverage. So um, things like OCR, like we're very public about, we, we, we partner and license that. Like we're not an OCR company. We're going to go to the best in the business, which is probably like Google Tesseract um, or Google Vision, as they call it now. And uh, we're just going to leverage that because it's so cheap and, and better than anything we're ever going to build in-house. Um, but then when you go into things like Google Cloud or, or like some of the more NLP specific things, they actually often fall short in the sense that um, the intricacies we face in the insurance space uh, aren't captured by generic concepts like financial number, which is something that Google supports because there can be hundreds of numbers in that document. And what's important is which one's a limit, which one's a premium, which one's a deductible. Is this a sublimit for a specific property? Let's say it's a schedule of vehicles. What's the limit for each vehicle? For Google to just come in and say, here's a list of all the numbers, it's almost like you're still at square one. Um, and same thing, when they say like, here are all the companies mentioned, it's like, okay, that's a good start, but like, which one's the broker, which one's the carrier, which one's the policyholder? And is this a subsidiary of the policyholder? Is this, you know, like, what's the relationship here? And, and that's where we come in is we have to enhance and go much further than just anything you can find on the shelf. Um, so if I can give you numbers, like, you know, we, we have six, uh, six open source things we use and 17 in-house things. So about two to one ratio. Mm. No, that, 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 that's interesting. So really, you know, when it comes to when it comes to context, when it comes to domain expertise, uh, it, I mean, obviously, it's difficult to get that off the shelf. And it, it's something that you need to spend some time um, kind of figuring out how to integrate, how to partner effectively with with kind of the broader uh, pieces of technology that 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 exist um, in the cloud. Yeah, no, that's great. So um, I'm, I'm kind of interested in, you know, like we start thinking about, you know, artificial intelligence um, and, you know, how it's come a, a long way in a very short period of time. Where do you see kind of where do you see the limits of AI specifically as it relates to, to your company, Chisel AI? I'm thinking... Can you maybe paraphrase in what sense? Like, in what sense? I'm just like, you, you, you know, I mean, we, we, we've, uh, and, and this isn't a necessarily a direct correlation, but, you know, I mean, um, uh, and it's not, I don't know if you necessarily considered uh, AI, but, you know, now uh, cars can drive themselves uh, to a certain extent. Uh, like that, that is something that, um, you know, over the last, I don't know how many years um, has been been worked on and we, you know, continue to get cars that are, you know, leveling up um, with uh, with that, you know, basically artificial intelligence. So, like, where where do you see your company being able to move as, you know, the the the, the logic, the algorithms, the, the the technology becomes better and smarter and faster? Um, like, how do you see that impacting your company? If that's a deep question, I've never had somebody ask me that. That's why I'm 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 still trying to think through this. Um, that's okay. My apologies. It, it, this is called the deep dive podcast, right? So. It is. It is. Absolutely. Um, 
I so my gut my gut's taking me to a different place. My gut wants me to say, you know, how I want to impact the world rather than how the world's going to impact us because that's a in some sense that's something that's outside my control. I mean, it, it, you know, our goal would be, you know, big 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 picture. The the way I started this company, the whole thinking behind it was you know, if we break down a document irrelevant of language irrelevant of domain topic i believe we can break it down into three pieces uh free text or or paragraphs lists and that includes ordered lists unordered lists numbered lists etc two column lists etc and then tables i i would argue that any document in the world in any language whether it's finance health literally like you bring it i can explain it in those three terms and our vision has always been, you know, let's read anything and be able to extract the data from it. Now, that's a very, very lofty, big sort of thing. Um, and so we can't just tackle that. That's why we've chosen commercial insurance, PNC insurance within that policy check even further. Like it's a very, very narrow beachhead. But in a couple of years, you know, if we can, let's say, get to an IPO, then the goal would be to expand into additional areas such as healthcare and fintech and finance and all of these other areas like in education where we maybe started and uh, deploy and leverage that thinking and the methodology to sort of google has this goal of understand uh, all information on the internet or something i'd love to understand all information and documents yeah do you ever see it getting to a point where you know let's just say i mean whether it's inside insurance or or or, you know a uh, an industry outside of, uh, of insurance. Do you ever see it getting to a point where it can take all of the learning that it's done previously and start extrapolating what it, it thinks it is so that like the, so the, 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 the teaching or the learning model is, um, is, is drastically shortened because it can go, Oh, this looks very similar to these things that I've done previously. Um, maybe not in the same, in the same vein, but similar and it can just continually learn and get better and and start identifying things uh, without human intervention. Yes, but let me let me ex- let me put an asterisk and, and go into more detail and explain. I, I think let's just be very specific here. I'm I'm only talking about the ex- uh, for, right now specifically for this piece. Where, where at least you're asking about only as it relates to extraction, because again, whether the table so let's just i'll I'll give a very specific example because i find most people find learn that way um if we take a a table that that has let's say file numbers along the rows so each row is an individual file number and it has a header that says you know limit deductible premium that's the, the insurance world then you move into let's say um the medical world and it says Description of service, cost, amount paid. Um, the machine will be able to learn the relationship between he- headers and columns and rows, and and basically eventually conclude that this is how you read a table. Like right, that's why we sort of like tables as humans. Is even though we might have never worked here and seen this before, like the whole concept of a table is uh, something that we've seen and we can repeat. And so in that sense, yes, but for it to be able to do the business logic to then say, okay, what does it mean? Like if this patient was given this combination of drugs, you know, what type of disease is he suffering from? 
um, there's additional logic that needs to be coded there. It can still be machine learning. It can be more statistical and more probabilistic or more deterministic. You can decide. Um, but that, that, that's not learned by itself. What it will learn is how to read documents and extract information without ever having been taught, like, what is the concept of, you know, uh, a, a medical bill. It'll just say, okay, here are the medical bill amounts without knowing what medical bill amount means. Mm-hmm. So, so Ron, um, look, I, 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 love, I love this vision, right? And I think, um, you know, as, as kind of a, as a blockchain, um, as a passionate blockchain guy, I, I feel like, you know, the, 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 the notion of um, OCR and NLP plays very, very well within kind of the, the, the smart contract space as well, right? When you think about parametric insurance or you think about some of these other um, these other areas where, you know, uh, automated, you know, the, the automated experience um, is, is it, you know, is or would be incredibly beneficial. I mean, do, do you see any parlay at some point into this, this kind of hybrid um, existence between what, what what you're doing and perhaps kind of moving that then into this more more automated business rules contract type type space smart contract space i i think we'll definitely play a part in it, although i i also think at the same time um and we don't necessarily touch this but maybe this will give some people peace of mind like brokers play an important role like people don't buy necessarily insurance um for the terms or the pricing i mean don't get me wrong like the rational person still cares about that but um if you're gonna use a broker which most people you know end up doing when it comes to commercial insurance then they go with the person who provides them the best service and the tools are are a part of that but it's not what makes or breaks the broker necessarily now um you know, if you're still faxing documents in 10 years and you're doing everything paper based, mm-hmm. like, you know, you're setting you might be setting yourself up uh, disadvantaged. You know, you're, you're taking a bigger uh, disadvantage there. But um, the tool is just one part of it. When it comes to things like smart contracts, uh, like I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the concept Um Although I don't necessarily think it touches, I think it'll remove, for example, policy check. Let's talk about that. Like policy check will probably become less necessary uh, just because, you know, hopefully those things, because they're like written in logic and code are easier for people to understand and they're more upfront. But on the flip side, the brokers are still there. The need for quote compare will still be there. Um, The need for other touch points will still be there. Those touch points will likely change. Um, we might also see, uh, you know, the rise of online brokerages that have no physical presence, that have uh, a much smaller amount of people servicing a much larger book of business. And so there might be a shrinkage in that sense. But uh, as far as gross rate and premiums, I think they'll only go up. Um, the business will be cheaper to run and more profitable than ever. So in some sense, it's exciting as a business owner. If you were in, a, in the space, uh, it's definitely an exciting time. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I totally agree. And I, I love that you highlighted the kind of the the, the, the um, augmentation of, of, of the broker, right? And kind of creating tools, creating, um, you know, uh, technology that, that's, that's going to help them work more effectively. And, and, you know, and perhaps it is, you know, going to kind of create an, an opportunity to build deeper, more meaningful relationships with with their customer base, right? And then kind of maybe be able to, 
um, branch out into other areas beyond just selling an auto policy or a home, homeowner's policy, right? Because they have the technology um, that, that's going to help get them there. So I, 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 think that's, I think that's really exciting. So I am, uh, I'm curious, um, you know, startups are, are glorified oftentimes, um, you know, because taking a risk and, um, and, you know, against all odds. And so, and, and then the ones that make it right, we, we, we tend to, to glamorize them um, a little bit. So um, kind of pulling back the, uh, the, the covers a little bit, what are like, what are your biggest challenges from a technology perspective um, as you look to, you know, look to the future and continue to grow, what are the things that, that kind of keep you up at night? Yeah, I think when, when the core of your business is research and development, uh, you know, technology is, is the big, is one of the big problems. Although it has, I would say, also knock-on effects. Like the biggest thing we struggle with is when you're doing something that nobody has done before, um, obviously it's novel and, and like it's good it, it gives you a competitive advantage the flip side is you don't know how long it will take what the resources necessary are like yes of course you try to budget and you try to plan and you try to uh, do you know the best practices possible but at the end of the day when you're doing something novel um, you know you're doing something novel and that in itself carries a risk and so uh, we we often end up getting in this position where something was harder than we expected. It took longer than expected. And then you end up having to manage customer expectations and client expectations and sales numbers because now you can't sell the product. It's not ready to be sold yet. And so um, all of that is sort of a knock-on effect. Um, the technology problems themselves, I would say, change. Like Maybe not week to week, but month to month. Like We have these big meetings once a month and... Uh, we talk about what we want to do for that month. And typically like we'll have a different tech goal every month, not to say we always solve it in one month. Sometimes, you know, priorities will change and this one just goes on the back burner to be picked up at a later time. But um, in most cases we, we face different tech challenges every month. Um, and that in itself is a fun journey. Oh, <laughs> uh, definitely. Always. So so, Ron, I, I think we have time for another question. And, um, I, you know, I think it would be remiss of me to to not bring up perhaps one of the most friction heavy um, verticals or experiences that we've seen in the past week, which is which is the election and, and uh, kind of the, the, the processes around that. Right. And I, you know, immediately. Um, you think about NLP, you think about OCR, you think about some of these technologies that, that could potentially be applied to that space, um, you know, when when a Chisel AI going to uh, to build something for the uh, um, you know vote vote counting election space to, to help to help uh, automate this going forwards. You, you should watch uh, a movie that uh, was shown to me. It was either in high school programming or in university programming. It's a 1990-ish movie called um, Government.com which talks about a, a startup that raised $250 million uh, in 1990-something uh, to do just what you're talking about, to set up a lot of government services. This was the first online DMV and all these things, and it was a spectacular failure. I won't go into details because I think the movie is very good, and I, I, all that to say, I'm not interested in that business. <laughs> 
<laughs> very good. Very uh, good. Fan- Fantastic. Well, that's a, that is a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful question to, uh, to end on. Um, Ron, how can, uh, how can people find out more about Chisel AI? Yeah, if people want to find out more, um, we actually have a, a podcast. You can type in Chisel AI. Uh, hopefully it comes up in, in whatever app player you're listening to on this. Of course, you can check out our website, which is chisel.ai, just like the artist to, uh, um, carpenter's tool. Um, and if you ever want to hit me up, you're welcome to reach me at G-L-O-Z-M-A-N at chisel.ai. That's my direct email. Always happy to uh, chat. You know, hit me up if you have questions or anything like that. Awesome. Well, with that, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of myself and uh, and Chris for your time today. And uh, yeah, well, look forward to, Thanks, uh, guys. to seeing this one go live. Cheers, Ron. Thank you, mate. I'd like to thank Ron Blasman, CEO and founder of Chisel AI for his time today. On behalf of my co-host, Christopher Franklin, my name is John Jacobin. Please be on the lookout for the next InsureTech Deep Dive. Thanks so much for listening and stay safe.